is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 564, recorded on Thursday, December the 9th, 2021. Welcome, everyone. It's a Thursday. It's only three days after the last time we recorded, as promised. And that is because we are here to talk about Fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead on this fine day of Thursday. Is this day, I mean, we kind of complained about Monday a little bit a few days ago there, Jason. Now it's Thursday. How's the, how's, you know, we need to update from the future. So how, how's the week going for you? Are you looking forward to Friday? Is it, has it any, gotten any better since Monday? Uh, it's gotten a little bit better and then it got worse and now it's a little bit better and tomorrow should be okay, I suppose. Well, okay. Uh, next week will be all right. A week after that, I'm on vacation, so that'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. The week after next is essentially almost Christmas. So even though there's a couple of work days in there, uh, I don't think I'm going to be working very hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm going to be working zero. That'll be nice for you. I have a big thing on Sunday this weekend, a work-related thing. And I've been feeling for about a week now, boy, when that's done, when that's finished... I'm going to start feeling like it's the holidays because we've been working up towards this thing. It's been a lot of work. It's been hard work. It, it has meant that I've had to drive to our shop, which is far away from my house every day this week, which has really worn me out. So when this is all done, I I feel like it's going to be the holidays, even though I still have another week and a bit of, of work days, but I can handle that. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's where we're at. We are going to talk about Fear the Walking Dead, but there's a couple of things we need to do before that. And the first one is a little bit of quick follow-up on the post-credits scene from World Beyond from last week. Cool. Cool, cool. Now, Rita, a listener in South Orange, New Jersey, sent in a link to an interview that Scott Gimple did with Entertainment Weekly. And of course, they asked him all about this scene. They talked about it a little bit. I mean, Gimple talked about it but didn't really say anything you know although I did pull out a couple of interesting answers I thought that he gave and so let's take a look at them right here right now okay here's the question that Entertainment Weekly asked is the scientist we see killed here at the end an example of the new variant that Jenner talks about and are these variants faster and more aggressive than ones we've seen before and Gimple says There's more to what Jenner is talking about. And what we saw is, first of all, not super powered in any way. That's a thin door and not the end state of that walker necessarily. And then the second question asked is, are these new walkers going to make their way onto other Walking Dead shows? And Gimple says, there's something going on and we're going to see more of it. Is it a total redoing of everything we're doing? No, it is not. And it's it's specific to a story we're telling in a place we're telling it. Who knows after that? But right now we're telling a story about things going on in a very specific place. Okay. So the reason I thought those two uh, answers were interesting is because in the first one, he says it's not the end state of that walker necessarily, which to me means that Maybe the speed and strength and kind of rage, you know, uh, element to that walker 
maybe it's temporary. Maybe this isn't as big of a change to the Walking Dead universe as we might think, uh, for example. So, like, if, if these walkers are, start off really strong and fast, maybe they deteriorate quickly and they become normal walkers again. Uh, I don't know, but it started getting me thinking along those lines that this could be scary and dangerous, but maybe it's not that big a deal if, say, that walker's only like that for six hours or something like that, you know? Right, like a, a a bright flame burns out quicker kind of thing. So maybe if they are more animated after immediately after death, that they burn out quicker and they uh, they will become puddles of goo long before the uh, the steady zombies uh, become you know uh, decomposed. Yeah, I mean they may not turn into just puddles of goo, but like maybe they just deteriorate down to sort of a normal slow zombie level, right? Uh, it could be either of those things, but I was thinking of these fast rage zombies along the lines of, oh my God, they're unstoppable. Like you'd never survive against one of those because it's just too much for a normal human to handle, considering also that you shoot it in the head and it doesn't go down. Like you have to essentially grind it up to get it to stop coming after you. But if those walkers or those people turn into walkers and they deteriorate quickly, even if it's more than like six hours, I just pulled that out of my ass, but even if it's a couple of days, right? Somehow, if you could keep them combined, uh, confined, they might turn into normal walkers, which are easy to kill. So, you know, I don't know, but I think it was interesting that he said that it might not be the end state of that walker. And then the other thing is world beyond was all about, trying to find a way to speed up decomposition to neutralize them as a threat, which that kind of plays into this idea a little bit, I think. So yeah, this could be an idea that the Walking Dead universe is bringing to us or, you know, the creators of this universe, which seems really, really scary right now, but maybe isn't quite as bad. Okay. Well, let's hope it's awesome, whatever it is. Whatever it is, yeah. So then the other thing is... He talks about this being a story specific to this place where we're telling it. So I think his answer there feels like a no. The question, and by, by that I mean the question was, will these walkers make their way onto other Walking Dead shows? I think for now the answer is no. It sounds like the answer is no. Yeah. If he's saying if, if we're going to, or he's saying we're going to tell this story, but it's going to be confined to France or confined to this facility this location in france maybe this is a tease for one of the episodes in the um tales of the walking dead anthology show and we're just oh, going to yeah. see that here right and these things aren't going to expand out into the greater walking dead universe for now uh which i could also see i i think that's actually pretty likely and then who knows what will happen in the future of course but i think it, it almost feels like they're just dipping their toe into this a little bit, right? And they're going to try it out. And if everybody hates it, maybe they won't proceed with it, but, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, probably in the anthology show, it's going to be a little more relevant. Yeah. Who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, for all we know, we could be getting a, a, you know, an eight episode full season of a show that takes place in France and they're going to have to deal with this and it'll all become clear then. But uh, for now, it I'm sort of come back down to earth a little bit, I would say, with this. I'm not as like kind of freaked out and excited at the same time about fast zombies. And also, I think it's going to be a little bit more self-contained than I originally thought, too. So, you know, 
Walking Dead trying some stuff out. We'll see where it lands, see what sticks. Mm -hmm. Sure. All righty. Thank you, Rita, for sending in that interview. That's in Entertainment Weekly. If you want to read more, he does answer some more questions kind of uh, half-acidly, as he's known to do. So you can go check that out. Now, the Walking Dead news, Jason. Yeah. We have a few items to talk about. They're all related to Fear the Walking Dead, so they are topical. And... This all came out on Sunday, the day that the mid-season finale aired. And it's funny, you know, you were complaining to me the other day about how uh, trailers for movies these days have like yeah. mini trailers at the beginning for the trailer you're about to watch. Stupid bastards. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, AMC pulled that off. They, a few days before uh, Sunday, they announced that there was going to be some big news on Sunday. Okay. So they're like, big news coming on Sunday, big announcement. And everyone's like, oh my God, Rick Grimes. And the funny thing then is Gimple had to go on Twitter and kind of backpedal a little bit and say, no, 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 it's not Rick Grimes news. It's something else. It's still a big deal, but it's not Rick Grimes. Just Yeah, it's marketing big news, not real life big news. It's like, calm down, everybody. You're going to be excited, but it's not Rick Grimes. I apologize for implying that it was or anything like that. So that happened. Anyways, then we have Sunday with, you know, the mid-season finale of Fear the Walking Dead, and they did an episode of Talking Dead after AMC's Talking Dead show, where they announced a few things. First of all, Fear the Walking Dead will return for the second half of season seven on April the 17th, 2022. April, okay. So that is, uh, if my math is correct, that is the week after Walking Dead uh, we'll finish up its second group of eight episodes. Okay. So Makes after sense. episode 16, we'll a week later go to Back to Fear. They also revealed that Fear the Walking Dead has officially been renewed for season eight. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you can believe it. <laughs> uh, you know, but that's that. Fear the Walking Dead coming back for season eight. I assume that would start sometime late 2022. But here's the real news, Jason. The big okay. news. Sure. They made... A Fear the Walking Dead announcement of the return of a certain character. Who is it? That's a lot of silence. It is a lot of silence. <laughs> There's a big sigh. Uh, um, I think you know. Okay, go ahead and tell me. Kim Dickens is returning as Madison Clark in the second half of season seven of Fear the Walking Dead. Not even season eight. Coming up in the second half. Of this season, she is returning to the show. I told you she wasn't dead. Yeah, she's not dead. Now, listen, when she was left at that uh, stadium on fire and surrounded yep. by zombies and the yep. episode ended and the showrunners all came out and said Madison is dead, she was dead at the time. I, of course. I am. I guarantee you, Jason, she was dead at the time. Everybody thinks that she was dead except for me. Because I never, ever give up on my strange theories, mm -hmm. no matter what. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. In canon, the writers, showrunners, everybody, Kim Dickens, they told her she died. She said, fine. She moved on to other and better things. Uh, all the writers absolutely thought that she was dead, and they're bringing her back because it's a goddamn soap opera, and you always bring back people, regardless of what your canon notebook says, because... 
you need to put a snake in the mailbox and surprise people and to change things up a little bit. Yeah, it's I my personal opinion is it's worse than that. Like she was dead. They wrote her character off the show and killed her off. Yet here we are with low ratings, a terrible goddamn show uh, that nobody is enjoying. And fan calls for the return of Madison uh, that have been fairly loud over the last couple of years, like, you know, pretty high used hashtags and stuff like that. And they've said no, they've waffled a bonnet a bunch of times. And now I guess the temptation was just too strong and they've decided to do it. In some ways, they're bowing to fan pressure, I think. Yeah. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know, because you want to give people what they want, but you also want to have some integrity in what you're doing. Well, you don't want to pander. Or, and you don't right? want to pander. That's you don't right. want to pander. But, right. you know, they're, you know, they'll do stuff. Maybe it's, it's a, a little bit of pandering to what the audience wants. Maybe it's a, hey, that's not a bad idea. Let's go with that. Uh, and it could be, you know, a direction that they decided to go in, in the writer's room. Hey, you know, they probably have a whole lot of what if conversations sitting in a room, drinking coffee, uh, you know, you just placed your lunch order, uh, and you're waiting for it to get there. Cause and it's 11 o'clock in the morning and you're hungry, but you've had too much coffee <laughs> and somebody says, Hey, what if we bring Kim Dickens back? And everybody else goes. You know, that's an interesting idea. We should look into that. Kim Dickens is into it and, uh, you know, everybody's talking about it. It's like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And then somebody says, yeah, the fans have been screaming for this for a long time. It's like, well, great. We'll let them, uh, we'll give them what they want, even though it's something they decided for independently. Uh, you know, it could be, it could be anything like that. Yeah. I, I love Kim Dickens. I think Madison was a great character. I enjoyed a lot of the episodes in the first three seasons or whatever it was with her in it. And in fact, in season three, which is widely considered to be the best season of this show, and it probably was, you know, it was getting pretty good. She was great. And the Clark family was pretty great. Uh, but then they decided to go, the writers and the showrunners decided to go in a different way. Remember, they killed Madison. They killed Nick. Uh, they have now effectively killed Alicia uh, although that came later, but we'll get into that. Um, and, and then the show went in the toilet, you know, we had a brief section of goodness there at the beginning of season six, but it's really been a dumpster fire most of the time. So they're like, what do we do? Well, we bring back Madison. Everything was great when she was around. So just having her on the show, that's going to fix everything, right? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> bring Kim Dickens back. To, yeah. It's going to be a magic bullet that, uh, makes everything awesome again. And, you know, to be fair, Chris, I've seen some pretty nice toilets. I mean, sure, the show might have gone into the toilet, but uh, there's been, there's some pretty nice toilets. And to quote uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, uh, the, the Queen Mother herself would be proud to go in there and take a dump. <laughs> Those are some nice toilets. Okay, fair. There are some pretty nice toilets. I'm afraid the one that this show is in isn't that nice of a toilet, though. Is yeah, it? You, you know, we're talking uh, 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 train spotting toilet. Oh, right. And that's a bad toilet. I don't know if we're quite there, but we're on, we're on that, we're on that slope. I think just light that toilet on fire and we'd be all set. Oh God. There's no way you'd have, you have to burn that sucker. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it uh, it's like, uh, we're talking about bring, bringing Kim Dickens back. Uh, even though everybody was universally agreed, except for me, by the way, that she would had died yep. in that, uh, in that episode. It's very much like Darth Vader. <laughs> 
can I spoil Empire Strikes Back? Is that is that okay? I mean, it's you know nineteen eighty four. Uh, it's been a while now. Eighty for Empire, but it's uh, yes, I think it's fine oh, right. to talk about the details of Empire Strikes Back, guy people. If you don't know and haven't seen it, like stop the podcast, go watch Star Wars, and then come yeah. back and finish. You're you're doing something wrong. Stop everything. Go and watch it. I think maybe that's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, at, you know, when they wrote Star Wars, Darth Vader was not Luke Skywalker's dad. Like, there's no way that that made it uh, into uh, Lucas's brain during that. It's it's he changed his mind and built that storyline during the writing of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Do you think so? I mean, I always I absolutely think so. I, I always understood that George Lucas had that complete story at least at least sketched out before he wrote the details for all three original trilogy. Yeah, that's what he would like you to think. George Lucas is is a really? is a fucking liar and uh is completely untrustworthy and look what he did with the prequels. No, I understand. Had, and we were going to talk about oh, well we've talked about Jar Jar Binks and about him being the supreme leader of the uh the dark side. Uh, a Sith Lord. He was the Sith Lord. Originally, that was Lucas's idea. But he changed his mind and then went back and said, no, it was my plan all the way, this, the, all, all the time. This is the same way George Lucas is that, uh, that evil leader, uh, cult leader, that no matter what happens, he says this was the plan all along. He, and he's been doing that for fucking decades. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Darth Vader was not Luke's father. Princess Leia was not his sister. That's why they had the kiss. It was not a big deal. Uh, it was just a, a girl kissing a boy in a movie. And then it turned out to be brother and sister thing. It's just like, whoa, that's a little bit weird in uh, retrospect. So everything changes after a while. And he fucked up and used the word parsec for time when uh, it actually means distance. Right. He was a moron. I mean, it sounds like a cool word. So why not use it? It's a, it's a cool space word. It's an actual space word. He just he used it wrong. And he tried to retroactively fit that into the storyline, which absolutely, he's, at the very least, he is an idiot. At the most, he's a complete liar. And anyway, I don't like George Lucas, except for the magic of Star Wars that he created and uh, all the power to him. And he, he's worth every penny. Exactly. He's a genius and an idiot all at the same time. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand. It may. Right. Anyways, back to Madison Clark. I, I, like I said, I love Kim Dickens. The show was best when she was on it. Uh, part of me is, is glad that she's coming back and it sort of makes me curious about what's going to happen the rest of this season. I, I can kind of, you know, almost imagine it in my mind a little bit, how they're going to do this, but, uh, we'll have to wait and see. And we don't even have to wait that long because apparently she's coming back in season seven. Now that may mean the final episode, episode 16. I wouldn't be surprised if it was something like that, but I don't know. Anyways, Kim Dickens coming back to fear the walking dead, hopefully to save this show. I don't know if anyone can save this show at this point, but I'm sure they're going to give it their college try. Alrighty, Fear the Walking Dead Season 7, Episode 8. It's called Padre. It aired on December the 5th, a few days ago. And, well, I don't think it's good, Jason. I don't think it's good. Uh, I don't know if it's worse than the other episodes in this first half of this season. Uh, there are things about it that I think were okay, 
But I think overall it's full of dumb ideas, weird character decisions, out of character stuff. Um, and I started wondering how you get to this point in a show. Like, how do you get here and, and, and why in a way? And I almost don't even blame the writers themselves because I think it's, I think the problem is mostly writing, but it's maybe bigger than that a little bit. I think this is bad. Well, I know it's gotta be bad showrunners because writers are writers. Like that's a job. They do their job. Presumably they're good at their job. You know what I mean? But the problem is they're, yeah, nobody gets to that level of uh, their craft because they've failed their entire lives. That's right. Uh, and their career is a piece of shit and they're not good at what they do. It, they get here because they have skills, they have quality work. Uh, they get here and then all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, they've stopped caring. Maybe they've got a lunch order got screwed up. You'd be surprised when you order a Reuben sandwich and you get a friggin' uh, pastrami on rye. Okay. Uh, you know, it's good. It's There's nothing wrong with the pastrami on rye, but it wasn't the Reuben you asked for. And that just messes up your whole day. Yeah. But they, that's exactly what it is. These people are good. Like they're writers. They've gotten to this level of, in their career because they're, they have talent. I think the problem is one level above. It's the people who are responsible for the general story outline, giving them the tools they need to write the story. I don't think that's what they're getting, right? The writers are fine at their job. They're just not being given anything to work with, or they're forced to start from a point that is so asinine, they just can't save it. And I feel yeah, like we've all been there in our jobs, right? Uh, we're trying we've to, you know, trying to achieve a goal that's been set and the goal is so ridiculous that even if you achieve exactly what they asked for, it's going to be garbage. It's a failure. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, uh, we, uh, totally. We've all been there. I mean, many of us anyways. And I think that's what's going on here, right? When you're provided a giant bag of shit, you're not going to be able to create a, a masterpiece of artwork, you know? And uh, you know, you, I think maybe you're, uh, some people okay. willing to work in the medium of feces <laughs> can create some beautiful artwork that, uh, eventually won't smell. I mean, I guess that's true, but you know what I'm saying? If, I you, do. if you start from just the worst point, you might not end up at the best. And I think that's sort of where we are. So, I mean, that's all just to say, I don't think this episode was good and I don't. I think the biggest problem is the writing, but I don't even necessarily blame the writers. This episode tells the story of what Alicia's been up to this whole season because it's the first time we've seen her. And it's done through flashing back to her in the bunker and then shortly after getting out of the bunker, along with what's been going, what's happening in the present time and what she's doing with Morgan and Strand and it features Will again, that character from the first episode of season seven, who Strand throws off the roof. Right. And that's kind of what we get in this episode. And I mentioned a minute ago, a minute ago that there are some things I like about it. And really the only thing I liked is that I actually thought Alicia Debnam Carey in this episode was pretty good. Uh, some of her delivery was pretty good. I thought she had a couple of good interactions with uh, Morgan and Strand. Um, those guys themselves, I don't think were anything special. And there's so many crazy, dumb ideas and weird stuff in this that it doesn't save the episode. But Alicia Debnam Carey, not bad. And 
I got to credit her for that at least because she wasn't working with much here. Well, no. And I mean, I mean, it's, it's turtles all the way down, right? So you start at the top, it's crappy ideas to get down to writers and the writers can't save it, but it's a poor carpenter that, that always blames his tools as well. Well, yeah. Sometimes you got to work with what you got and you can create, uh, some of the best stuff ever created has been done because of limitations being placed. Uh, you know, those limitations sometimes fuel creativity. See, yep. you can't necessarily blame the writers. You can't necessarily blame the showrunners. You can't blame the actors and Alicia Denham Carey. Uh, you know, I don't know if she did a fantastic job, but I think she did okay with what she was given, mm -hmm. which is fine. That's her job. That's good. Uh, you know, it's, yeah, the, the question you raised of how did we get here has been rattling, rattling around in my head for the last five or seven minutes since you raised it. Yeah. And I, I don't know the answer, how, how we got it, but you know, you look at society or humanity in general, it's just, you know, this is, uh, we've had some good ideas, but, uh, we've also got some things that are really fucked up in this and we can't really change them because, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of idiots. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to say exactly what's, uh, what's going on, but I, I would I don't know if I necessarily agree that she did a fantastic job. I just thought she did okay, but I felt this, felt. I feel this about the whole episode. It's okay. It had some interesting ideas, sort mm -hmm. of, except for the stuff that completely was unplausible but and crazy, but that's okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to overstate that. I don't think she was fantastic, but I think she was the one part of this episode I didn't mind, and I think she did an okay job with what she was given, um, which I can't really say about much of the rest of it. Uh, and how, as for how we got here, it's, it's the show's gotten out of control. Like it's gotten away from these showrunners. They've, they've had these ideas. They've wanted to do some stuff on the show. And I think I said this on another podcast, they, they've decided to take it in a certain direction without thinking about the consequences of what that means and how they're going to continue to tell these stories. And it's just gotten away from them. And now they're trying to, I mean, bringing Madison back, I think, really feels like a way to try and rein it back in a little bit, thinking maybe if we bring back this fan favorite character and maybe if we we write for her and maybe she'll bring it back down to earth a little bit. And, you know, I don't think that's the case if we're still going to be doing things like blowing up nukes and uh, have, having people that that seem to think they're sick for this long and and not and slowly dying but we'll talk about that in a minute i want to start more at the beginning so if we go to the bunker uh teddy puts her in there right and he wants her to lead these people that are in the bunker to some kind of new beginning or whatever it is and alicia is not interested in doing that at all and she really makes that known once she's in there and she first encounters the people that are down there uh, I must admit, I did think that just after they almost push her into that tree walker that's uh, that's tied up there, she elbows yep. the dude in the face, pushes him into the tree zombie and grabs his gun. I thought that was a pretty cool move. Eh, not bad. Yeah. You know, considering it happened all at once and she got herself away there. Um, but then she finds Will down there and apparently his story is that he has been in that bunker since the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. It's been years. Yeah. And he was there with Senator Vasquez, a guy we've heard of before. 
Teddy's people came in, killed everybody else. He was the only one who survived because he was hiding in a furnace room or something doing maintenance, he said. And basically he tells Alicia that he can help her find a way out. And while they're doing this, she finds a reference to Padre, which is this secret location where, I don't know, high-ranking government officials or other wealthy people are going to go because it's a safe, secret location. And so that's why she wants to get there. Yeah, the land of milk and honey. It's the, uh, you know, it's Eden. It's the promised land. It's Nirvana. It's uh, yeah. the Holy Grail. It's uh, the place to be. Uh, it's, you know, where you want to go. Paradise yeah. City. Paradise City, exactly. Now, to sort of contrast that, we see her um, with Morgan in the present time. Uh, the first thing they have to do is get away from her camp, and Morgan yells out something they need to stay ahead of the smoke, which I just think is so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> There's smoke. Outrun the smoke, everybody. <laughs> yeah, because uh, outrunning the wind is, uh, you know, something that the happening did so well. Right, exactly. You just want to emulate it. That's right. Everyone loved that movie. They thought it was just genius. So why not do what? that again? No. <laughs> Run the weather. <laughs> God, that was a dumb movie. It was so stupid. But here we are. We're using the same idea here. But they do outrun the smoke, Jason. They basically get away from it because it's never talked about again. And they move on to other things in the next scene. Yeah, you can outrun smoke. That's no problem. Okay, fine. I don't know why you would think it's a problem. It's smoke. You can see it at least. The wind you can't really see. You <laughs> right. can only see the effects of it, right? Right, yeah. It's like asking a fish, how's the water? The fish is going to look at you and go, what the fuck is water? It's it's, yeah. it's just the what, you know, this just the medium in which they live. Uh, but smoke you can see, so you can outrun it, of course. I guess you can, yeah, outrun the smoke. Well, that whole thing goes away, and... A big part of this episode is Alicia following. So they find the senator zombie, right? The the senator who Will was living with, they find that guy as a zombie. And since he was the only one who knew where Padre is, she decides that zombie senator will just somehow wander around and lead them there. Uh-huh. So this... You know, this gets back into the idea of residual memories and things like that in, zom in, in, in zombies, which is something we've talked about yep. a lot. And, you know, personally, I have wavered between thinking it's a thing, it's not a thing, it's a thing, it's not a thing. Ultimately, I don't think it's a thing. It can be both. Can it, it, can it can be, be both? It can be a thing and, and, and not a thing. It can be a thing if we're willing to accept it in order to make fun of the movie or fun of the show. Uh, but if you want to, uh, I think this is the, has the show acknowledged residual memories or is it just something we as the community have come up with? I think it's something we've come up with. Now, it may very well have been in Frank Darabont's original concept and original ideas, but he was fired, remember? And we went in a different direction. And I don't think since then it has ever been a thing. Uh, and Morgan even says it in this episode, right? He, Alicia tries to explain this to him and he says, you know, I used to think that and then my son died because of it. Yeah. And he's right. Like Morgan doesn't believe this. Yeah, but his wife kept trying to get in the house. Remember? Trying to open the door to the house. Not yeah. just walking towards noise and banging on it. Like in the pilot that, you know, this is what, you know, Frank Darabont, uh, for, you know, obviously was very much in charge. Yeah. Uh, 
large and in charge of that pilot. But she was trying to get into the house because she lived there. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was very much a thing. But the show hasn't acknowledged that until now, from what I recall. I think it's something we talked about, but I don't think it's anything the characters in the show have talked about. No, I don't think so either. Um, the, the idea of, is there anything left in a zombie? Like, is there anything left of the person in there? Is something that uh, comes up in zombie mediums or zombie properties a lot. Right. It's because it's a valid question, right? If you're just going to kill these things haphazardly because they're attacking you, what is, what's the morality behind that? Are you actually killing something that is part human uh, or has a conscience or a soul or whatever? Right. And that's a, a valid question. I think it has kind of been asked in the walking dead, right? Like there are characters who, who at least respect the fact that these used to be living humans well, Herschel, he put them all in a barn. Herschel put them all in a barn. Uh, um, what's her name? Elton's girlfriend in World Beyond, right? They did that yep. whole ceremony with the flowers and stuff like that. Like there are more than one character that that acknowledges that if you kill them, there should be some sort of ceremony around it, right? Uh, and like, that's fine. That's an interesting question to ask. I just don't think... I just don't think fear is asking that question. I think Alicia is out of nowhere, despite all of her experiences in six seasons on this show up till now, is suddenly like, well, there's got to be something in there because he'll lead us to Padre and we need to get to Padre. And, uh, you know, what else are we going to do? So we can't explain. We can't think of any other way to find it. So why not just throw this in here? She's got a file, like a, uh, looks like a detailed file. Yeah. They give her a room full of filing cabinets, which I think is odd. Uh, so this is your room now. She's like, well, what the fuck are the filing cabinets for? But that's just me. They give her a file that says Padre on it, right? Yep. That file does not include location information. It's just, uh, this is exactly everything you need. It's a thick file. It's this is all, everything you need to know. It's all in the senator's Padre. brain. Forget it. They don't write things down. That. That seems silly. Yeah, it does. And why put her in that room too, right? You, like if that was the senator's room, you got to think that was probably the nicest room in the place. But, and no one else is living there yet. They put her in like the new person. I guess she's supposed to be their leader. Sure. But I don't know. seems weird. Um, but just the, the whole concept that, that Alicia would suddenly believe this, like, Maybe we're supposed to think this is a last ditch attempt or she's so desperate she's not thinking straight or this is the only idea she can come up with. But I just, it just struck me as silly and dumb and I didn't believe that she would behave this way. Oh, it's very dumb. Yeah. It's, it, it's very dumb. It's, it's like, uh, I don't even know what it would be. Uh, it's like painting the, the shell of a turtle and saying the turtle will take us back to Turtle Town, uh, we just have to follow it for a while. The turtle doesn't know where Turtle Town is. Uh, well, you know, it might find a, a nice creek or a river or some wetlands in order to dig a hole and lay some eggs and shit, but uh, it's not going to go to Turtle Town. I mean, a turtle might actually take you to Turtle Town. That's fine. That I could believe. But You and, know, you have just as much chance as painting a cat and having it go to uh, take you to Turtle but Town. Here's the thing. A zombie will take you to Zombie Town. Like, a zo- zombie's gang up in herds because they're attracted to noise and light and smells and movement, right? Zombies will will 
we've learned that for 11 seasons of the main show, seven seasons of this one and whatever else they are attracted to these things. Yeah. And ultimately when the zombie leads her to strands tower with the big light on the top, I'm like, yeah, of course it went there. It's a giant light, right? Yes. Uh, you know, and to be fair, uh, when you get a whole bunch of uh, zombies together, it is zombie town, right? It's uh, what I mean. Yeah. They, they take it with them. It's not, uh, it's not a place. It's a, it's a concept. It's, meant, it's, it's a, like church. You don't have to, church doesn't have to be a specific building. It's just a congregation of people. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter where it is. Uh, you know, that's the same with zombie town, but turtle town's a real place, right? Like it's a, it's, it, it's an actual physical place with like little tur- turtle office buildings and turtle factories where they make, uh, uh, turtle related textiles cause they like to be cozy. Yeah. Uh, so turtle town but, sounds nice. Yeah. But a turtle taking you to turtle town, uh, they don't know where it is. They just kind of, you know, happen along it. Uh, and obviously when you're following a turtle, the turtle's like, why are you following me? I'm not taking you to turtle town while you're following me. No, no. Cause it's secret. That's keep right. It secret. Keep it safe. That's what the turtles think. Only turtles allowed. Well, so having this, uh, turtle take, uh, no zombie, uh, take Leisha to Padre. It's just, uh, it, it's it's stupid. My, are you serious? Is the my brain was just screaming at her. Are you serious? You're really following the zombie, and you've convinced these other people to follow the zombie, I, including and, Sherry and Dwight, presumably. Like they're there too, right? You've convinced all these people to do this uh, against all of their better judgment and everything they've experienced for years, and they're all just going along with it. Maybe Alicia's got like uh, maybe her backpack is full of heroin. And people are just following her because she's got the heroin. It's like, ah, she can say whatever she wants. She can do whatever she wants. We're following her because she's got the heroin. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, this is the first strike against the character, I think. And like I said, I don't blame Alicia Debnam Carey. It's not her ruining this character. It's the showrunners. This, the second strike against her is, is related. And if you go back into the bunker... We get this scene where she first starts to decide that following this walker is the way out, right? They're looking for a way out and they come, her and Will come to this big room that has some sort of giant drainage tunnel leading off from it. And so they stick the walker in the tunnel and think it's going to like crawl its way out because it's on its way to Padre. Uh You know, why not? Just, it'll just crawl through this random maze of tunnels. They go in after it. And they're following it on hands and knees through these tunnels. While they're in there, the nukes go off upstairs, you know, up in the, (laughs) up on the surface, which causes the tunnels kind of to cave in a little bit, separating Uh Alicia and Will, trapping her in a section of the tunnel with the Senator zombie, who of course turns around, comes back towards her and she can't go anywhere to get away. So what does she do, Jason? She uh, builds a yeah. wall. Of course. Yeah. Sorry, okay. I should have let you answer the question. What does she That's, do, Jason? Uh, she uh, she makes tea. No, she builds a wall. She builds a wall. Yeah. So some of the debris that fell down, uh, f- she she starts to build up a wall between her and the zombie with these stones, and it doesn't work. The zombie breaks through. And takes a significant bite out of her arm. And I'm like, holy shit, Alicia got bit. But wait a minute. But wait a minute. 
We're in the past, and she's still alive in the future. What the hell is going on? And in the future, she got bit. She got bit, but it was a fake-out bit. It was like, a fake-out. There was blood. Like, it looked like there was blood, but the blood was coming from the senator zombie. Yeah. Uh, his mouth. So, uh, yeah, it was absolutely a, a fake-out bite. Uh, but th- this happened after that, right? Like, she got bit, and then we see her in the, uh, in the tunnel, and she mm-hmm. gets bitten again. And she's like, uh, what's going on here? So at the very least, it piqued my what the fuck meter. I agree with you. My what the fuck meter got pegged all the way to the red. It's just like, what? I I agree with that. It was definitely intriguing for a moment there because you don't really know what's going on. So she's bit in the present, then she's bit in the past, but, uh, and, and we don't know how she has survived in between. But we, we quickly find out, of course, is that it's trapped in that tunnel. Uh, she smashes Senator Zombie uh, in the head and then is able to build the wall up, right, I guess? Yep. And and then she cuts her own arm off in the tunnel to she, stop. She stabs her own arm off with a makeshift uh, sharpened weapon. Well, that's her weapon. That's, that's the Alicia weapon that she's had for a long time now. Right. And she recently got it back. But my question is this, she, like, she, she takes the thing, stabs her arm off. Uh And I think to myself, wait a minute. She had the weapon with her the whole time. And instead of just poking the zombie in the head to prevent it from biting her, she decided to build a wall of rocks. This is strike two against this character. Like she's not that stupid, Jason. She doesn't want to hurt this zombie. She protect. She's protecting the zombie because it has the residual memory of where Padre is. She oh. needs to protect it. She needs to try and not hurt it. It's like having a, a a fight with your cat. I mean, sure, your cat might be attacking you and trying to claw your friggin' eyes out and bite you with all its might, and you have to fight back. But you don't want to hurt the poor cat, even though it's trying to kill you, because that's what cats do. Uh, you know, you just, you have to, you have to protect it at your own peril. Uh, you know, if a cat scratches you with like a really deep gouge and I, at the very least have been there in the middle of a cat fight where I got a big, deep gouge, I don't wring the cat's neck, uh, in order to protect myself. I want to protect it. I want to, you know, it's a fuzzy cat. I mean, fine. You're, you're, you're right. I guess she doesn't want to, to kill the thing outright. My God, this, this is life or death. And she has her weapon there. I mean, she could have used it in some way, I think, you know, jam it down its throat and pry its jaw off or something so it can't bite her as easily. I, I don't know. I just, I sat there going, this is getting dumber and dumber. Like, she, yes, she's in this vulnerable position. If she gets bit and dies, she's not finding Padre anyways. So isn't it better to stay alive and... Yeah. Find it some other way. Like Morgan says, there's another way. This is dumb. You're doing this the dumb way, Alicia. But she won't listen to him when he says that. And she makes a poor decision in this tunnel and gets herself bit in the arm. Yeah. We all know that if you really want to know what somebody else knows and they're dead, you rip open their skull, you take their brain and you eat it and then you get their memories. Right. Right. So that's what there is another way. Morgan's absolutely right. You just need to eat brains you have to do that that's the way it works (laughs) right uh eat brains as a living human not a dead zombie that's what they're trying to do they're trying to get your memories 
That's what zombies are all about. I guess so, yeah. They're, they're sad because they're dead and they don't have their memories anymore, so they need yours. They need somebody else's. Well, in the present timeline, she reveals to Morgan that the bite in the present timeline isn't going to affect her because, in fact, she doesn't have an arm there anymore, which we didn't sort know. Of. Yeah. So she's missing an arm, but she has fashioned a non-functional prosthetic, I guess, out of her own damn arm bones. Uh, okay, it's a little twisted. This is a little twisted and a little weird, but I actually don't hate this. Like, it's freaky. Oh, I, hate, I hate it. Did you? <laughs> well, the bones, they don't, like, they're not going to stay strong. It's not going to give you any structural support. Uh, you know, uh, I thought maybe she had ripped off all the flesh on her arm. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, kept the bones. Uh, but that didn't happen because she was able to stab her arm off. Uh, she didn't, couldn't even cut the arm off. She had to stab it off. Right. So, right. but it completely came off and it was draining really oozily gross. Uh, but then she kept the arm for, uh, sentimental reasons. Well, before you continue, I have an email here from Corey in Minnesota and Corey writes, so Alicia got bit and had to cut off her arm. When she shows Morgan, we see her bones are still there and she confirmed to Morgan that they were hers. So after she cut it off. She crawled back into the tunnel, grabbed her arm, and skinned it to the bone. What in the world? This is just weird. <laughs> it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Uh, unless Will grabbed her body and her arm and dragged them both out of there. But either way, like, take the person, leave the arm. That's kind of the normal thing to do. I might go back for the arm. Well, he might go back. I don't know if I would. Yeah. But someone might go back for the arm. Uh, for some reason. I don't know. Uh, doctors in the crowd, I would be interested in finding out how long human bones would stay rigid once no longer connected to a living human being. Like, would they actually remain hard or would they become brittle and just, you know, disintegrate into dust over time? And how long would that take? I'm curious. Well, I, I propose some experimentation. Uh, I say we go to Kentucky Fried Chicken, buy some chicken, eat it, leave the bones out in the sun for some time and see. Uh, and then every week buy some more. Actually, no, every two weeks because uh, you, you should only eat Kentucky Fried Chicken fortnightly. Uh, so you can test and see what the, the bones are like uh, immediately and uh, the sun-dried versions uh, over time. Okay. Well, uh as long as chicken bones are a proper stand-in for human bones, I guess we'll get our answer. <laughs> and deep fried. And deep fried, yeah. Deep fried chicken bones are the same as uh, human bones. It's been yeah. a long time since I've been to KFC. Oh, I haven't been in years and years. And the last time I had it, I thought it was just absolutely gross and I decided never to go back. <laughs> this podcast not brought to you by KFC. <laughs> no. <laughs> I've had fried chicken. It's good. Oh, yeah, me I too. I haven't had uh, Kentucky fried chicken. Agreed. I have had good fried chicken more than once since that visit to KFC, but... Uh, been talking a lot about food this episode. Must be hungry. You know what? It's a. It was a weird food week for me because since I've been driving out to the shop every day, I've eaten out, like lunches and stuff, more than I have in forever, like since I've been mostly working at home. So I've had more like burgers and Subway and, you know, bullshit food that's bad for me this week than I have in a long time. Good for you. So I need to, I need to stop that. Otherwise, you know, 
I'm going to be unhealthier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so anyways, Alicia's bit, she's lost her arm. She's got her own bone arm on there. And I mean, it's sort of badass, but just everything that led up to it, I think was stupid and I didn't like it at all. Um, but from here on in, uh, you know, they, they end up at Strand's tower and her and Morgan are sitting out under the phone booth outside the tower. And she explains to him that, you know what, Morgan, I didn't actually cut my arm off in time. This infection is still in me. I'm sick. I'm extremely slowly dying and I'm going to become a walker at some point and maybe hurt a lot of people. And so this is new, Jason, somebody who, who gets bit and takes this long to die because we know she was bit at the same time that the nukes went off. And we know that was at least 70 days ago, more because, uh, June and John tracked 70 days and now they're in the tower. So maybe it's 80, 90, a hundred days. So the show is trying to tell us, and they're trying to sell to us that she got bit by a zombie. She had a fever as will confirms, but then quote unquote, it broke. But Alicia seems to think that she is still very slowly dying from this zombie bite and there's no hope for her. So what the hell do we think about this? What do you think about this? I think it's all bullshit and it's not even worth really speculating on because this episode has gone so far uh, into the realms of what the fuck. My meter, it's broken at this point. Like yeah. nothing is moving that needle back down to uh, away from the red zone. So we've got uh, Alicia believing that zombies have enough residual memories to follow them through tunnels. It's not even residual memories. Like this guy doesn't, the senator dude is not thinking uh, you know, in zombie form thinking, I know where this place is. I'm just going to magically wander there. Yeah. But she's got to believe that uh, he's going to magically wander there because his residual memory, the only place he wants to go is Padre, not yeah. home, not uh, his favorite golf course, uh, <laughs> right. not uh, his favorite KFC outlet, uh, because you know, we know the Senator loved KFC. I can't assume any different. Uh, but not only that, uh, but she's got to believe that he has a homing beacon inside his brain that allows him to know that crawling through this tunnel is the way to get to Padre, even though the Senator may or may not know about this tunnel right. in, uh, in his waking life. So that's one thing. And then we've got, uh, you know, her getting, uh, bitten by a zombie and then surviving the experience, even though she had a fever and the fever went away. So, uh, you know, like they said, it could be anything. It could not necessarily the, uh, uh, you know, the bite that was causing it. Uh, then we have to believe that she was able to stab her arm off in a way that was survivable mm -hmm. and not just mangle this mess. And we had to believe that she was able to survive in that uh, situation long enough uh, that they were able to rescue her. Uh, but, you know, that is not outside of the realm of possibility either. I've heard stories of real people that have had arms cut off and the way they survive that survive it is they jam the stumps into the dirt and the mud in order to clog everything up, then hold their arms above their head, uh, until, uh, they can get to rescue and they survived. Yeah. Like that it's a horrifying thing to have to experience, but people have survived that very situation. Right. 
so that's fine. But then we have to believe that she survived the infection and that uh, she kept the arm, dried out the bones, decided to make a prosthetic arm with the bones, like not even to structurally support the prosthetic arm, but just to keep it, you know, right. you know, it's my hand. I'm going to keep my hand. Uh, so now, uh, we have to believe that, uh, she's infected and slowly dying and she hasn't died for so long. My bullshit meters and what the fuck meter, which are very similar meters are so pegged in the red that, uh, I can't even, I, I, and that you know, period, I can't even. Yeah. So the idea that you're right. I mean, when you said she had to like fashion this thing onto her arm and stuff, I'm like, that's got to have taken time and she needs some time to, to recover. Let's just assume she recovers. Uh, well, we know she does, but let's assume it takes some time to recover and then do the arm thing. It's probably been a lot longer than 80, 90 or a hundred days, right? You don't do those things quickly. So. Eh, you, well, depending you know, with modern medicine, uh, recovery time. Yeah. Uh, being able to modern medicine in the zombie apocalypse. I mean, come on. Well, we've had, <laughs> we've seen worse, right? Uh, have uh, we? I don't know, know if we've seen worse. We've well, seen other examples. <laughs> other examples. Yeah. Uh, and people in this universe are amazing healers. It's true. You gotta remember. That's true. They've got soft heads, but they make up for it by their magical ability to heal. That is, that is true. When you mentioned earlier that you thought she stripped all the the flesh off her arm. I I did have the same thought when I watched it. And before we see her like stab the thing through to take the arm off, I thought, holy shit, instead of cutting the arm off, she tore all the flesh off, which you think yeah. would have the same effect, right? And then the, then the bones could still be attached. And I thought, well, that's clever. And I, I think I would have preferred that because it's at least something new in for the show. And you can believe that that would work. And I can also believe that, oh my God, that would almost be more horrific to have to do to yourself than just cut it off, right? Well, you flay your own arm, that'd be bad. Holy Jesus, that sounds awful. But they didn't go there. They did the cutoff. But anyways, what you're saying is, I think, and I think this is what I believe too, that Alicia's not dying from this. She got bit. She cut the arm off. We know that can save people's lives. And she did it in time and then just got an infection or was sick and recovered from it or is still recovering from it, you know, and she's going to be fine. She's just dealing with the long term effects of chopping her own arm off Yep, and doesn't feel good about it. So, again, the show is just the writers are just going, oh, man, we're going to so fool the audience with this with this. Or here's a, here's a cool idea, but they have no idea how they're going to back this up. And so it's just going to be, uh, she had an infection and it's taking a long time to, to get over it and she'll be fine. You know, and the return of her mother, anyone who sees their mother after this long is like, oh, now I need to live. I have something to live for, right? That's totally yeah. going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah. And uh, she's also got a backpack full of heroin too, so that'll help. Ah, that helps everything. That's right. So I truly do not believe that they are introducing the idea that somebody can live this long after getting bit. And if they are, I, I don't know, man. I, it's going to be hard to continue with this show if, if they're really going there, I think, personally. Well, you know, they've always said that the time it takes to reanimate is variable. And we've seen long reanimation times and short reanimation times. Uh, and, you know, with uh, the post credit scene, 
in uh, World Beyond, we've got some, you know, some different zombie types. You know, maybe they're introducing all kinds of weird random variables. It's like, well, we got to shake things up. So we'll uh, add the fast rage zombies and we'll add the, you know, you're sick and eventually you're going to die, but you're okay for now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe they're introducing a, a blade type character where you have a daywalker. He's half vampire, half not vampire. She's half zombie, half not zombie. So that makes her the uh, uh, the most anti-zombie there is because Blade is the most anti-vampire guy. I'm not trying to be negative, but I hate all of those ideas. And all of them? Every single <laughs> like one of them? Every single one of them. I, I, I'm not even saying I want everything to stay status quo, but I just feel like there needs to be some rules. There needs well, to be rules of the universe. And these morons have come along and are just like, nope. That's not a rule. That's not a rule. We're going to do whatever we want. Well, that's that internal consistency. Yes. You need, uh, you know, uh, I have all the, my biggest problem with all TV shows and movies is that if you fuck with your own rules, it pisses me off. And it, it not only pisses me off, it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man makes me sad. I love that movie. I love Paul Rudd. I think that's a great movie. Uh, it's got a lot going for it, but it does not maintain internal consistency in any way, shape, or form. I know. It is so bad. How do you carry around a tank on your keychain that has shrunk down? All that's happened is the space between the molecules has has shrinked, uh, and so it's this has the same weight as an actual tank. But yet you're carrying it on your keychain. But is that your rule or is that the TV, no, the movie's that's, rule? That's the movie's rule. They said the pim particles shrink the atoms or shrink the space between the the uh, the molecules or the atoms in order to shrink them down. Mm-hmm. When Paul Rudd first shrinks in the suit, I know. he falls down and he cracks the tiles because he's the same weight on a very small uh, a very small space. Yep. So I know. it's got a lot more pressure. It absolutely is the rules of pin particles, yet they do not follow it. You take an ant and you blow it up to be the size of a horse. That thing is going to be so full of air, it's just going to float away like a balloon. <laughs> That'd be crazy if all the ants suddenly got the size of horses and they were just floating around in the sky. Well, they have the Antony got, he, they put the reverse Pim particle on him. He was a, like a. He was playing the drums at the end of the second movie. I know. Or, uh, <laughs> so, you know, he would just be this uh, this floaty ethereal thing that is sort of like an ant shaped balloon. Well, that sh- those movies did not follow their own rules. And Fear the Walking Dead is, I I, I was going to say getting dangerously close. Well, I guess getting dangerously close to not following the rules. And it's pissing me off because you can change certain things. You can introduce new things, but I don't feel like you can change the rules and it bothers me and it bothers you and it should bother everybody. Uh, yeah, and it should absolutely I should think. bother everybody. I think, uh, you know, my, uh, my vision is full of, uh, dials and counters and things, and they're all like pegged in weird directions. Right. And it's, uh, it's distracting me. I've got like 60% of my field of view is, uh, full of, uh, <laughs> needles and gauges that uh, tell me how much I'm annoyed at the universe. Right. And they're all off the charts right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, the very end of this episode is Alicia talking to Strand outside the tower and they're trying to come to some sort of arrangement, but then zombie will crawls up alicia sees him realizes that strand killed him 
I, I guess just realizes it. I don't think she has anything really to go on. So she accuses him of this and he admits to it. And so Alicia declares war on Strand. Uh-huh. And that's the final line of the episode. So I guess it's Alicia, Morgan, and like six or seven other people, including a baby who are living at the sub uh-huh. in a war against Strand and the, what, 40 or 50 people he has in the tower. I don't really know how many are in there. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it's at. And Alicia thinks she's, she says she is going to take the one thing in this world that Strand cares about, and that is the tower. So they are at war. Yeah. So she declares war right there on the doorstep of the tower. Uh, why don't they just shoot her? Because that would be the logical thing to do. I oh, mean, you've, you've declared war and you're going to take that thing from me. You're going to go off and, uh, you know, gather your forces and gather your, uh, uh, your wits and attack me while I stand here and wait. Okay. See you later. No uh, problem. You know, just call on the phone when you get here. <laughs> yeah. You let me know when you get here. We'll be ready. I'm waiting. Yep. So I thought this was terrible, uh, despite enjoying seeing Alicia again. And, um, the, the, the conversation I'm thinking of that I liked was really earlier in the episode when they're after they jump off the cliff, which we didn't even really talk about, but they throw the zombie off the cliff. Then they jump off the cliff into the water and down at the bottom, once strand recaptures them, that's, there's a conversation there between the two of them that uh-huh. I thought was okay. And I, I liked that one. Is that the one that ended with uh, leave? And then she yells leave to Strand and he just fucking leaves? And he just leaves, yeah. I <laughs> Like, well, that makes a lot of sense. I've captured you finally. Oh, you want me to leave? Okay. Okay. I'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see you later, I guess. <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll see you. I, mean, I had he- to go back. I'm like, did I see that? I saw that, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it was really weird, but. I don't know, something about that exchange other than that bit, I I thought was pretty good. Rest of this was a giant steaming pile. Uh, And I'm telling you, man, I I do not give up on shows, really, almost ever. And I'm not going to give up on this one. I mean, I've kind of given up on it. I've given up on it ever being good again, but I'm morbidly curious now that, that, uh, um, uh, Morgan, uh, my God, Madison is coming back. And I mean, I have to watch it for that just to see what she can do. Um, I'd rather have Garrett Dillahunt come back. Oh yeah. Me too, actually. And this show, this ep- this season has had a surprisingly, disturbingly few minutes of, uh, Keith Carradine. If Keith Carradine was in this more, I'd be. I'd be better. I'd feel better. A lot of these needles would ease off a little bit. Maybe. Because uh, I'd be more forgiving on a lot of things. But, uh, you know, without Garrett Dillahunt, without Keith Carradine, I'm having a hard time. I, I still, I'm still not quite there yet with him. I still feel like he is a, not cheap, but he's kind of a replacement for uh, Garrett Dillahunt. Uh, because he wanted off the show and the show owner said, well, we can't lose him. We're going to bring in somebody else to replace him. So they bring in his dad. Yeah. Well, character wise, it's stupid. Yeah. Okay. Uh, You know, Keith Carradine wise, it's all right. I hear you. All right. (laughs) Garrett Garrett Dillahunt wise, it's not that great. But uh, if you're going to replace Garrett Dillahunt with somebody, Keith Carradine is a pretty solid, solid choice. I suppose. All right. Well, you know what? I've got three calls from listeners here and I'm going to play them. They're all 
a little bit long, but that's okay. Uh, let's, let's hear what a few of our listeners had to say about this one. The first one's from Dan. Hey guys, Dan in New Jersey. The uh, whole uh, cliche, everything must be a mystery, so I won't explain. You must just trust me thing. It's so boring. You know what? I don't trust the writers. So they can say that all, the, all they want. I'm not going to trust them. Once we find out what the secret about the Senator zombie with cream on top is, there was, it turned out, I was right. I shouldn't have trusted them. There was no good reason why it had to be a secret. Uh, <laughs> when Alicia threw the zombie off the cliff, it gave me a little Weekend of Bernie's vibes. Only uh, here it's the zombie dragging the live people around, not uh, you know, the people dragging around a dead body. Uh, later in the episode, Alicia's recovering after amputating her own arm, and she's talking with Will. I realized, wait a minute, is this why she kicked Will out? Because they mentioned that in the first episode. Because he didn't kill her? There wasn't a good reason to. They could have just tied her down in case she changed. We see that in World Beyond later with Elton, remember? Then, a bit later, when she finds the note, I realized, oh, nope. He kicked himself out for stupid reasons that don't make any sense, but sound fake dramatic and fake meaningful. Ugh, all this nonsensical drama, or drama, is making me dumber just for watching it. And then at the end, when Alicia was saying she would take away from Strand the one thing he cared about, I thought, whoa, she's going to kill herself. Yeah, wow. Nope, just, we're going to war. Like you always do in the Walking Dead universe, whatever. All right, so thanks, Dan. Uh, That was from a call he sent last week, which included some stuff about World Beyond, so I cut it this bit out of that uh but thank you dan for sending that in i think he makes some good points uh you know the whole cliche of everything is a secret is just reference to morgan constantly asking alicia what the hell's going on and her not really wanting to tell him at first because she's embarrassed because she's following the zombie around and she knows deep down that it's ridiculous and doesn't want to say anything uh-huh. uh that's my feeling um so yeah but it's kind of a tv cliche and it is what it is uh, so it it did kind of occur to me at the time that when she said, I'm going to take the one thing away that you care about, uh, I thought maybe she was going to kill herself too. That uh, that did cross my mind briefly. But then I thought, scotch? She's going to take away his scotch? Yeah, that's right. He loves his booze. He loves his scotch. So <laughs> I guess if she takes the tower, it includes the scotch. I guess so. You know? But she didn't, you know, expressly call that out. That'd freak him out, right? You know, somebody who's a... Uh, uh, a full-blown alcoholic in the zombie apocalypse with a limited supply of alcohol, uh, you know, threatening to take away that alcohol probably is going to be very disconcerting. Probably bad, yeah. Um, and then he, and then Dan says, oh no, they're just going to war, like we always do on The Walking Dead. <laughs> We've had the Whisperer War. We've had the war against the saviors, you know? So yep. it's, the, it's a thing. Thank you, Dan, for that. Next one here is a call from Jason. What up, Chris and Jason? It's Jason from Los Angeles. Just wanted to touch base on the Walking Dead World Beyond and Fear of Walking Dead episodes from this week. I think Walking Dead World Beyond was cool. Good ending. You know, I mean, I, there's some, you know, nitpicks, but I'm not going to leave that alone. All I really want to talk about is Fear the Walking Dead. <sighs> so first of all, they're in a pipe. The bomb goes off. And where did those rocks come from? There was no holes in that cement pipe anywhere. Rocks just magically appeared to block Will out. Alicia's trapped in there halfway. And after all these years of dealing with walkers, 
all of a sudden, just because Will said something, she believes that walkers now are somewhat sentient and remember stuff. So because of that, instead of killing the walker, she just nonchalantly, nonchalantly lets him bite her. And now she's missing her arm. But no, not missing her arm. Instead of putting some fake thing on like Aaron, she gets her own bones and makes an arm out of her own bones. Come on, man. Walking Dead, Fear fear the Walking Dead is terrible, bro. And that whole dialogue at the end with Strand. I mean, Strand is there with a horse and two other men. Alicia and Morgan are right there. And then he, he doesn't have to tell her that, you know, he killed Will because Will said she loved him. All he could have said was, yeah, I didn't know and kept it pushing. But no, he got to say, oh, da, 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 you know, yeah, he loved he loved you. And then Alicia... Standing right there in the most vulnerable position is going to scream out, this means war. We're going to war. Well, from my viewpoint, and if I'm Strand, oh, we're going to war? Men, kill her. They're dead. How are they going to just shout, this means war, and they're going to get out of that situation? Anyway, we already know how bad fear is. I love you guys. Love your podcast. I'll keep listening no matter what. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. So you and Jason, Jason... Uh, yeah. have the same ideas there. Yeah, I'm 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 more mad at this show than I was when I started. I thought I was mad when I started. Now I'm mad. Yeah, now it's it, the 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 sheer uh stupidity of it is I think being revealed to you. And magic rocks. Where did the rocks come from in the tunnel? The tunnel you didn't know, collapse. They just fell out of the ceiling. Very good point. I mean, the only explanation is that uh, nuclear explosions are power, powerful enough to blow rocks through corrugated steel. I guess so. That must be it. I also like how on Jason's call, he just keeps, it sounds like he just asks more and more questions and keeps getting more and more exasperated by the fact that there are no <laughs> yeah. good answers to any of these things, you yeah. know? No, it's, it's bad. I'm, you know, it, it may not be the, you know, right. The writers of the show are professionals. We've talked about this. Uh-huh. The writers are professional. They, you know, they're at the, you know, they're, they have careers that are successful. Because you become a writer of a, you know, a prime television show like this, uh, you know, that's, that's a success story in a career. Few and far between. Uh, but these, I think the writers need to be ashamed of themselves. Well, again, I, I'm not. The showrunners, everybody involved in this has, you know, are they putting their heads in their hands at the end of the day going, what the fuck did we do? I mean, it, it we had good intentions, but. This is a disaster. I, I, I don't think the writers themselves, like the staff writers, I don't think should feel that way. I don't think the directors should feel that way. I think the people at the top, like Gimple and the showrunners, the two showrunners, should feel that way. I think they should look themselves in the mirror and go, what are we doing here? What what has gone wrong? And I think AMC executives should be like, guys, we don't want to air any more of this crap, like make something better. <laughs> you know, when a, when a sports team loses 20 games in a row, I only know about hockey, right? When a, when a hockey team is terrible, the coach gets fired. Sometimes the general manager gets fired. The owners of the team make changes to, to try and right the ship. And these guys have been on here for two and a half or whatever seasons now. And We've got the second half of season seven to go and they've been given season eight. Like what's going on? Like, how can you be this bad at your job and keep doing it? But okay. So a couple of things here. Uh, one <laughs> is, uh, you know, the, the, sh- the studio is going, 
uh, is seeing this on the screen, right? They're like, they're looking at this, uh, you know, dumpster fire of an episode and going, yeah, we'll renew you for another season. No problem. You know, here's, uh, here's the green light. You're good to go. Uh, you know, they got to think about, they got to think twice about that kind of thing in the future, I would think. But then if you, if you're using the analogy of a sports team, they don't say, you know, you, you've been losing a lot lately and you haven't won a Stanley cup in uh, quite some time. Uh, you know what? We're going to end this after another season and a half. We're just going to, we're just going to let, you know, run up the season and then we're going to put another uh, eight games on the board. But after that, we're, uh, you know, we're disbanding the team. Well, no, they, they don't, they do, don't that. do that. That's true. Right. Because the team is still making money. No matter what happens, uh, you know, people are going to put uh, a couple of hundred dollars down on the table to watch millionaires play hockey. Uh, they're going to do it. So regardless of whether they're, you know, Stanley Cups are in the future or not. I mean, definitely in Canada and in many markets in the States, there are teams, though, in the NHL right now that are struggling to fill half their buildings, right? They have 20,000 seat arenas and they're having trouble getting 10,000 people there. Not in the city we live in. The Toronto Maple Leafs can be the worst team in the league. They currently hold the longest Stanley Cup drought and we still fill that place. You know, I mean, it's partly to do simply with the population here, but uh, you're, you're generally right. People continue to go. The teams continue to rake in the money and they don't disband the team if they lose 20 games in a row. <laughs> Right. And it's, it's, uh, it has a lot to do with the community, right? It's not just, uh, people watching hockey games and going, man, that sucks. It's people watching hockey games and then watching sports shows, talking about people talking about the ins and outs of hockey games and, uh, you know, speculating on, uh, player changes and you know, there's a whole industry just around commentary on sports. So this television show has a community like that. It has a bunch of people, including you and me, for some reason, uh, talking about the show and a community involvement in this show uh, that apparently is making enough money still, even though the quality is so crap that they're willing to renew it for another season. Yeah, sure. No problem. You know, quality of the writing or the storytelling not even the writing, but yeah, the storytelling, the quality of the storytelling is going down, but the projected income from putting that shit on the air is still good enough that they will green light another season. Oh my God. Are you saying we might be part of the problem? Like, like I'm sitting saying, here supporting this, talking about it on this podcast is, is acknowledging that it exists first of all. And if yeah. people, if people ignored this, stop watching it and really made their, you know, voted with their, their eyeballs on their TV screens, it would definitely go away. I think I agree with that sentiment, except for the, uh, the characterization of that it's a problem. It's, it's more, you know, I think of us as, as a support group more than anything else. Right. Uh, so it's not necessarily we're part of the problem, nor are we part of the solution. We're more of a, a tag along kind of ancillary thing that uh, keeps the community involved. My God. I, yeah, I just tweeted the other day about uh, us and the community of listeners being like a support group for this, right? It came yeah. up on Twitter and that's how you know this is bad. I have never once in... 12 years, uh, questioned the 
<laughs> the reasons or questioned what we're doing here. And now fear comes along and suddenly I'm like, oh my God, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I mean, well, I don't know about that. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know. Would TV be better if we stopped podcasting? Probably uh, not. No, because if we stopped podcasting about fear, um, well, I can't, I was going to say if we stopped podcasting about fear, the show would go away. That is not true. If everybody stopped talking about fear, then the show might go away. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I know we're not, we don't have anywhere near that kind of influence, obviously, but it exists and we're going to talk about it. Uh, and while you were speaking there, I did go and look up the ratings, which we, or the millions of viewers, which we haven't talked about in a while. And just so you know, if we go back to episode five, that had 0.93 million viewers. Episode six had 0.88. Episode seven, the portrait had 0.94. And Padre had 0.84 million. So 840,000 people watched Padre when it aired on Sunday night. It's not very many. No, but it's, it's, it's worth it, right? It's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, it's not quality. It's not numbers. It's projected income. I know. Right. It's their, uh, you know, how much does this show cost versus how much can we make on advertising and downloads? Uh, you know, they're the AMC plus the, uh, the iTunes, however people, you know, however they're, you know, calculating their monetary value, uh, that's what they're doing. They're saying we have these numbers and they're, they're also working on budget, right? So they're saying, okay, if we have these numbers based on projections, we can make this much on AMC plus, we can make this much on iTunes, we can make this much on advertising, yep. uh, you know, based on what we project those numbers to be, we can have the budget, you know be so much for each episode can we still make this show for that budget and the answer is you know for a long-running television show is probably like it's uh, economy of scale right probably it costs more to get a show going than it is to keep it going for a ninth season yeah no you're absolutely right uh i just think there has to be some uh, that like the creative quality of it has to be factored in somehow, right? I, if you can make an incredible show that everybody loves, that still makes money and is on budget and all these sorts of things, you are succeeding greater than if you are just making money and you're just doing it for the cash. I really don't know how much quality factors into studios calculations. Hmm. Yeah, maybe very they little. They, you know, based on what I've seen from movies that have been released, uh, and, you know, studios are like, when they read a script, it's, it's not a matter of, hey, this is a fantastic script. I love this. This is what they say. You know, I loved the script. It was, it, it had so much potential. It's, uh, okay, this movie is going to cost $6 million to make. I uh, probably won't make that back because it's, it's pretty crappy you know whereas <laughs> this movie is going to take a hundred million dollars to make uh but it's a uh you know if i put enough money into it it becomes a big budget sci-fi uh tentpole may uh release uh, i can make that back <laughs> and you then know, they nowhere up in that calculation is this is a good movie or this will be a good movie it's a it's it's financial calculation it's a business they don't give a shit about quality they give a shit about bottom line i mean that's how the passengers gets made is that is that the one with uh <sighs> yeah with um blondie and what's his face 
Yeah, Star Lord and uh, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. The movie would have been so much better if they just kind of wrote if they put the story backwards. Okay, right? why not tell it backwards? It's always no, better well, backwards. It's a matter of, like they had uh, they had the guy wake up and then uh, you know agonize over whether or not he should he should wake her up and he does and she doesn't know and she freaks out when she finds out. That's one thing. If the movie started with her waking up and him being there and there was a love story and then finding out later on that he w- what had woken her up, it becomes a, uh, a thriller uh, and it would have been a better story overall. Okay. Well, maybe you should be a writer. <laughs> well, it's not my idea. I no, saw I it on the internet, but uh, it would have been a better story if it wasn't told as a... Uh, the way it was. Yeah, yeah, fair. That's so, again, so much potential. Big budget uh, sci-fi movie with like four fucking actors, uh, and that's it. Well, that's why I thought of it, because you started talking about sci-fi tentpole movies. I'm like, that one was big and expensive, and it was bad. All right. <sighs> well, listen, I've got one more call here, and this is from listener Monica, and uh, she has a great analogy for what fear the walking dead is so i want to play that but monica has called in once before and it was around the mid mid season finale of of the walking dead and it's funny what happened here and let's listen to her call and then if it's not clear i'll explain it but uh okay here comes monica hi chris and jason this is monica from seattle second time calling in wanted to give a personal analogy for fear But first, I want to wholeheartedly apologize for accidentally spoiling the Walking Dead mid-season finale when I called in the first time. I had a live date brain fart. I truly hope I didn't spoil anyone's viewing. I hope it was general enough. Uh, Apologies, and I promise I will always triple check live dates. Okay, now that I'm done groveling, fear. After this Fear mid-season finale, I was thinking that Fear is the show version of the boys I dated in my 20s. Hear me out. Where they're mostly terrible, but sometimes go through unpredictable, short phases where they're great, affectionate, and lovely. Enough to keep me dating them way longer than I should. My current therapist called that intermittent affection. And she told me a story of a test with rats, a lever, and cheese treats. The rats that got cheese at a predictable cadence of pushing the lever, say every fourth push, if they didn't get that cheese on the fourth push, they would just shrug and be like, eh, okay, looks like cheese is done, and go about their life. The rats that got the cheese treats in totally random amounts of pushing that lever will keep pushing that lever forever until they die not realizing that the cheese is done and never going to come again. I think I'm having that same problem with fear. I should break up with it. I can't count on it. And this season has been such trash. And I was one of the people looking forward to the nuclear apocalypse. But I'm going to keep watching this stupid thing in case they turn it around again and give good episodes. I was really kind of hoping they would cancel it, you know, break up with me so I don't have to break up with it. In summary, fear is my boyfriends in my 20s. 
and also an unpredictable cheese lover where you're never going to know when you're going to get that cheese slash good episode. And I'm the rat that is going to keep pushing it till I keel over and the ding dong who should kick fear to the curb, but instead will making it dinner, hoping it changes ways again. Anyway, thank you guys for making this terrible season still fun to watch. You guys crack me up so much. Thanks for everything. Bye. Thank you so much, Monica. Well, Jason, that's my favorite analogy for uh, what fear is. It's the che- random cheese dispenser of TV shows. It, it absolutely is. It, you know, it's a gambling addiction. It's good money after bad. It's, uh, you know, if I keep if I keep pulling the lever on this slot machine, uh, I'll uh, I'll make back the money that I, uh, I, I put into this, uh, you know, even people that win, uh, at the, at the casinos tend to lose in the long run because yep. they're like, yeah, yeah, I won. I'll just keep trying to win some more. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's the, uh, uh, which, what, what you call it? It was the, uh, the, the random affection or the intermittent affection. Yes. Of her boyfriends in her twenties. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I can understand that, that, uh, you know, if they were, you know, if the boyfriends were assholes all the time, that's, that's, that's fine. Uh, cause then you can just say you're an asshole and move on. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a great boyfriend all the time, that's, you know, the best, uh, the best possible outcome. Yeah. Cause there is no downtime, but, uh, you know, if you're a good boyfriend sometimes and a really crappy boyfriend, some other times you're like, eh, every time we go out, there's a chance he's going to be a good boyfriend today. Uh, and then making him dinner, hoping that he will change his random ways that's the worst that's fear that's fear for you although it's it's been more bad than good lately but every once in a while it just is like hey you know we're still okay so you got to keep watching yeah it's the sunk cost fallacy as well kind of oh yeah as well it's uh uh, you know i've put so much into this already i can't give it up now because what happens if it gets good yeah, right. That's my right. My parents did. They did that for most of the '80s. They were buying their, uh, they're playing their numbers, numbers on the lottery. They had these numbers picked out since the early '80s, and they were playing them well into the '90s. And they never hit their numbers, but they couldn't stop because the second you stop, if they hit the numbers, then, uh, uh, you know, you're you're fucked. You don't get the money after you put it in all for all these years. Yeah. Until eventually they realized it's probably not gonna win anyway, and then they stopped checking. Right. They stopped. As soon as you quit the numbers, you stop looking at the lottery results. Yeah. You just, that's it. I can't look anymore. That is key. That's right. That's how I buy things. When I, uh, I don't look at sales after I buy something and have buyer, buyer's remorse. If I would have just waited, it would have gone on sale. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you could buy, uh, you could buy a TV and five years from now, that same TV is going to be like so dirt cheap. It's crazy. Uh, we can't do that. So no. I. When I buy something, I stop looking. Just move on. Yeah. Be happy with your what you have. Uh, to, to swing back to the beginning of Monica's call, she apologized for spoiling the end of, uh, or sorry, episode eight of The Walking Dead this season. And what happened is, because the episodes come out early, right? We I watch them early on AMC+, Plus, but I only watch them early to give myself more time to prepare for the podcast. Well... She watched it early, recorded a call, sent it in to us, and I played it on the show, not realizing that she had seen the episode and was actually spoiling stuff. I thought it was more just speculation from her. And then if you recall, on the next podcast, another listener said, guys, I think Monica spoiled the show. Yeah. And... 
and even at the time I didn't really realize it. And so it was interesting because she'd seen it. She kind of spoiled it, but I didn't know it was a spoiler. And then I didn't even really put two and two together when I saw it. So Monica, I don't think it was quite as bad as, as you thought. Uh, but I appreciate the apology and I accept it and I'm sure it won't happen again. <laughs> I remember the situation vaguely, but, uh, I have no recollection of the exact spoiler that was involved. Yeah. Well, there you go. So don't even worry about it. But, uh, and I think in, in terms of spoilers go, uh, I'm way worse than you've, than that was ever, uh, had ever been. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I spoil multiple things, uh, every week per episode. Yeah. This one was Star Wars. Well, that one's okay, I think. Anyways, thanks, Monica, for that. passengers. Yeah, passengers. Thanks, Monica, for the call, and feel free to call in anytime. That goes for everybody. All right, that is it for this podcast, everyone. It's too bad fear is on such a downturn right now, but when it comes back next April, we'll be watching it. We'll probably be podcasting about it. It will be the only, as far as I know, Walking Dead show on at the time. So we won't be able to kind of mix it up with World Beyond or whatever. It will be coming right after the main show has uh, wrapped up the next group of eight episodes. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'm just not so much looking forward to the next fear other than the Madison thing. It could be good. Madison coming back could be... uh... Well, exactly. It could be good. And that's why we got to just go back to the boyfriend and stick with it and, and, uh, keep watching and talking about it here, which we're going to do. I think it's going to be Frosty's hat. Like it's the magic hat that brings Frosty to life. You know, I think that's, uh, that's exactly what, sorry, am I spoiling Frosty the snowman now? I don't think so. And if you are, it's probably all right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As long as no uh, four-year-olds or five-year-olds are watching or listening to this podcast. Yeah, which they probably shouldn't be. All right. Uh, So that is it for Walking Dead coverage for 2021, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. If indeed you are not going to listen to us uh, until The Walking Dead comes back, have a wonderful holiday season, a Merry Christmas and all that stuff. And we will hopefully see you in February when The Walking Dead returns. But for those of you that do stick around, and uh, we very much appreciate that, we are going to do one more podcast between now and January. So at some point during December, uh, we are going to take probably a couple of weeks off just because it's been a lot of recording over the last little while. Uh, But we will have one more episode coming before the new year. Then... Sometime in January, we're going to do that double header review of Pollyanna McIntosh movies. Oh, yeah. Remember? So she plays Jadis. We're going to watch The Woman and the sequel to The Woman called Darlin, which was directed by her. So I was so excited or impressed with her work on World Beyond that I decided, you know what? Let's go watch a couple of her movies and do like a mini actor spotlight on her. So that's going to come in January. And uh, the other thing that's going to be happening between sort of December and January is that I will be co-hosting a podcast on the book of Boba Fett with Jason from the Walking Dead cast and uh, another host. So there'll be the three of us on that show. And that starts right at the end of December. I think the book of Boba Fett premieres on December 29th. Our first podcast will come out a day or two after that, probably. 
So check that out. You can find that on his podcast network called Podcastica, and uh, you should be able to find it at podcastica.com. But uh, yeah, if, if you can't, email me or whatever, and I'll hook you up. But that'll be fun. The Book of Boba Fett. We did, you know, shows on all of the Mandalorian. So this is the next sort of uh, progression of that. All right. If you'd like to get in touch with this show, absolutely send in voicemails. Go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com. Click on Send Voicemail at the top. You can record a message that will come right to us. You can send emails to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at TalkingDead, where I will try to remain semi-active. I'm not the most prolific tweeter, but I will, you know, read mentions and respond to people now and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun. Uh, that's at Talking Dead on Twitter. All right, everyone. Thanks for another great year. I hope we will see you over the hiatus. And if not, I hope you'll come back in February when Walking Dead returns. But until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Forgot there for a second. Sorry. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. Okay, good. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>